start a, uh, a new sermon series, and then we'll take two weeks off, and then we'll continue it. So hopefully you remember, three weeks from now, what we started, kicked off today. But don't worry, I'll remind you then anyways. It's called Not Supposed to Be This Way. Um, but just before we get into that, uh, there's a, I need to highlight a couple things, and um, that is this. We are having about 400, maybe 350 um, youth and quiz coaches here next weekend. You're like, I know there's not even 300 chairs, right? But we will make it work on our end. We need a little more help, though, from you. Can you host some kids, like, on your floor uh, or on a couch? Uh, they need a place to sleep. They're coming from Saskatchewan, all over Manitoba, and even northern Ontario. And uh, they don't, uh, they're not staying in hotels. And I really don't want them to sleep here. This could be, I guess, plan B on our floors here, but that's just more work for me. So uh, if you are able to, all it takes is you let them sleep at night, you wake them up in the morning, give them a bowl of cornflakes, and bring them to church. Pretty much that's all it takes. Uh, so if you can, they are coming with sleeping gear, ready to sleep on your floors. And our kids do that when they go to the quiz meets uh, in Saskatchewan. So now it's our turn uh, to show hospitality to them. So uh, last I heard, we still needed over 100 spots. So if you can help in any way, go to the Welcome Center, pick up the form, fill it out today, and leave it there so I can pass that information on to the coordinator. So that's one thing. We really need your help that way. Secondly, um, every month uh, we have prayer meetings, and uh, it's this today, this tonight at 6 o'clock. It'll be for one hour. Uh, this isn't um, a prayer summit that's longer. It's just a prayer meeting, so just come and pray. Uh, it's pretty chill. You know, we're going to listen to God, and we're going to talk, and you'll have things that we want you to pray about. So uh, come, 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock, uh, meet us downstairs in the multipurpose room, and that's all. So Not Supposed to Be This Way is the title of this sermon series. Uh, if you have a Bible, it would be great if you um, keep that with you, or if you want to open it on your phone, or if you want to borrow a Bible, Karen and Brian are going to walk down, and you could um, just make a hand motion, and uh, they, we'd love to lend you one of our Bibles. There's also sermon notes that you can follow along with, and uh, I don't always follow the sermon notes completely, so you get bonus material, actually, if you follow along uh, in the sermon notes, because I don't always refer to anything uh, in there. Not supposed to be this way. What do you think this is going to be about? It's not supposed to be this way. Do you think it's supposed to be this way? Look at the world around you. Look at the news. Read the newspapers. Um, is this how it's supposed to be? I just want to throw this out, and this is not a rhetorical question, so if you feel brave enough, just shout out some answers. Like, what is wrong with this? Like, what are some, give me an example of how it is not supposed to be. Any examples? A little bit louder. What is wrong? What should not be happening? In our country, in our world, in our city. Racism, yeah, that is really not supposed to, exactly, bad. Okay, something else. Pardon? Corrupt leaders, exactly. It's not supposed to be that way, or is it? No, it's not. What else? What's something that just bugs you? Makes you awake, stay awake at night. Murder, exactly. That's an obvious question. Yeah, but no, murder is not supposed to happen. Anything else? Is that all? You guys are shaking your heads. So you, I know you're thinking, right? There's a lot of things that's just not supposed to be this way, is it? It really isn't. There is something wrong with this world. And maybe if we were all to uh, gather together and brainstorm should be, um, we'll probably have different ideas of you know, how it should be. 
some of us may include different genres of music, heavy metal or country or, I don't know, Justin Bieber, where others are like, no, that is definitely not supposed to be that way. Um, but maybe in a perfect world, it would be like um, only the people who like that music can, can hear it. It's only audible to people who like heavy metal music, and the rest of us hear, you know, whatever it may be, Hillsong or whatever it is. But there are things that we don't agree on. But I think generally we can agree on some of the main, you know, structures of what it is supposed to be like. Right? We're supposed to be have we're supposed to be healthy, right? No sicknesses and and strong marriages and secure children, and we we people shouldn't be born into this world already addicted to a substance because of what had happened you know, with their parents. Or we, I think we can kind of understand. I think politicians, wouldn't it be great if they always told the truth? And maybe if they even praised um, the accomplishments of other politicians? Like if they actually do something good, say, hey, that was a good job. You know, and maybe if there's a crisis in this world, instead of people arguing, the person who has the most expertise would be like, would everyone, you take charge of that. And we could, you know, give and take, and we would see that the, the differences, like someone mentioned racism, the differences are actually good, and they're complementary, and they're actually maybe appealing in some way, so we could see that they all add up. There's probably, I bet, generally you can get a pretty good idea, right, of, of what we think, how it should be, but I think we all agree it's not supposed to be this way. There's something wrong with this world, isn't it? You know, even in scriptures, the prophets, longed for and talked about this perfect world. They knew that even thousands of years ago, it was not right. Something was, was wrong with this condition that our world is in. And, and so one of these uh, examples is Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. And let me just read that for you here. And you can uh, follow along or just listen, because this is a fantastic passage here. Sometimes they would use colorful language or, you know, or metaphors, or they would just be given these pictures or words from God describing what, what it will look like or what it should look like. So let me just read Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Who are they talking about here? The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he ears, hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Justice is something we didn't mention, but I think we all long for that. Even like children in the playgrounds, right? Where they, it's not fair, it's not fair. You know, why do they get to be on the swing for 10 minutes and, or whatever? We just know innately there there's, should be a fairness, right? There should be justice. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. We don't want wicked to survive, right? We don't want them to, to, to um, uh, succeed. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Familiar language from the book of Revelation as well. And then listen to this. Here's some great language. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, like they're not enemies. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. A little child leading a lion. Can you imagine that? The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. 
See, like all creation, even working together here, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I think we understand, we know that there is something wrong with this world. This isn't how it is supposed to be. What's wrong? We know from the Bible, we know, I mean, Christianity, Jesus Christ only died on the cross for one reason, like sin. We don't like to talk about that word sin, but it's true. This is, this is the reason. This is the culprit. This is why we don't have this perfect world. This is why things aren't the way they're supposed to be, because sin is so pervasive, and it infiltrates every part of our society. It infiltrates our lives. We know that, biblically speaking, theologically, this is what is wrong with the world, sin. Um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, however you pronounce his name, here's a famous quote. You've probably heard it before, and so I Googled it because I thought, I love this quote. I didn't know he wrote it. It doesn't really matter who, but if you want to know, because it's true. The line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. You see, we understand that evil out there, and it's very easy for us to keep it out there and to be all judgy, you know, look at all those heinous crimes and all those heinous sins that are happening to, or, or people are doing to each other. You know, we are different. It's easy for us to uh, pinpoint when we see it in other people's lives, and we think those things happen maybe outside the church, but, you know, we're different. We are Christians. We go to church every Sunday, and don't commit those, you know, big and heinous and awful sins. And so part of it is we, do, we like to see it in other people, but we don't recognize sin uh, in ourselves. And sometimes there are even sins that we consider are acceptable in the church. And it's like, it's not that bad, right? Talking you know, poorly about other people, maybe, or, or even feeling out about uh, our accomplishments and how um, we know certain theological words and other people don't know. I mean, we're correct. You know, we have the right, we can feel pride. There's certain acceptable things, I believe, inside the church, but that's called hypocrisy. And that's probably why some of your friends or neighbors or even your own children stop attending church or give up on Christianity it's because of hypocrisy. We need to understand that we are, uh, we are sinners. We sin. And I'm saying we, I'm not saying you. It's part of the problem um, with this world. The line divided good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. I wish that were in the Bible because it sounds so true. Truth exists outside the Bible sometimes too, right? But here, you heard of uh, John Newton? Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, much like me. Maybe you watched his movie, you read his books. Uh, he was a slave trader, right? And, and something, he got sick and his life changed. And near the end of his life, here's one of his famous quotes. He says, although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. But we need to keep that both uh, in balance. John Newton, he was a slave trader. He was encouraging slavery. Later on, he realized that it was wrong, but he still recognized, I'm a great sinner, and yet Christ is a great Savior. And Amazing Grace probably is one of the most recognized uh, in the world. Did you know that? Uh, did you know Gilligan's Island? You can use the same song, same tune for Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. You hear the whole thing. And uh, sometimes we start singing, and I think, oh, wait, wrong tune. Sorry, because you know, i got to get back to that. 
but that's how popular it is, right? John, this, this slave trader, wrote this song, inspired by God, obviously, to talk about grace. But not only that, the Apostle Paul said the same thing. He wrote in one of his letters, he said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he says, of, who I, of whom I am the worst. He was pretty bad. I mean, first century, if we go back to before he met uh, Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and we compare that to what's happening, he was, he's a terrorist. That's what he was. He was personally dragging people out of their homes. He was organizing all these these plots for, for people to be killed in public and stoned, made fun of. Why? Only because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Not because they were doing any bad things, just because that they were Christians. So that, that, that's what we call a terrorist. Right? Just, there's no good. The apostle, then he met Jesus, his life turned around, and even as he grew in the love and the grace of an understanding who Jesus Christ was, he considered himself uh, one of the worst, or the worst uh, sinner. So that expression that John Newton said, I am um, I'm a great sinner, but I have a great Savior. We need to recognize that sin is a problem. The world is not supposed to be this way. It's because of sin, and it's not just everyone else's sin. It's ours as well. We are not perfect. We, right? I'm not saying you, I'm saying we. We need to come to grips with that. So um, this is the introduction to this, sir. And over the next, uh, you know, after we take a two-week break, because we have some guest speakers, then uh, we're going to talk about sin a lot. And um, we don't like to uh, talk about sin. We, we like to not talk about it. Right, so here's some, uh, did I miss some quotes? Are they in your, okay, look at your sermon notes then. And I'm just going to read these to you because it just kind of gets to the point. I thought I had them on the PowerPoint, they'll probably come up later, you know, it always happens to me. Carl Manninger. was um, a psychiatrist. And this is 1973, so I know almost you know, my entire life um, this has been true. He says, um, why don't you just read it here? Okay. The very word, okay, which seems to have disappeared, doesn't it like, seem to have disappeared really, was once a proud word. It was once a strong word, an ominous and a serious word. But the word went away. Almost disappeared. He's saying this like back in 1973, which is even more true today. But along with the, the notion, like the idea of sin. Why? I mean, doesn't anyone sin anymore? Well, maybe that's why. Maybe that's why we don't do it, because we're better. You know, we don't sin anymore. Does anyone, doesn't anyone believe in C.S. Lewis is a famous author of many of ours, and he wrote this in one of his letters, the barrier I have met is the most, is the almost total absence Finds an audience of any sense of sin. Do you think that's true you know, with us? But generally, we don't like to talk about sin. And sometimes we use different words, right? So if it's, um, you know, committing adultery is, like, is the biblical word, but we, oh, having an affair, you know, or cheated. It 
doesn't, it sometimes doesn't sound as bad, right, when you change the words, or, or stealing if it's an, uh, an executive of a you know, big company. Oh, it's fraud. You know, it's not actually stealing. You know, sometimes we can soften it a little bit by even how we talk about it. So last one, there's a New Testament scholar, D.A. Carson, and he talks about the most frustrating aspect of doing evangelism in universities, in that setting. He says it's the fact that students generally have no idea of sin. They know how to sin well enough, but they have no idea of what constitutes sin. Why is it important for us to even talk about sin then? If we don't understand sin, we don't understand what Jesus Christ did for us. We don't understand Christianity. Without understanding sin, we can't understand God's grace and God's love. We can't understand Easter and the resurrection. If sin didn't exist, none of this would exist either. So we need to, we need to understand sin. We need to understand that it's a part of us. But that there's also a way out. So there are notes if you want to write, um, write some things that come to mind. I just want to talk a little bit more about the seriousness of sin, and then uh, I want to talk about uh, how we deal with it and why it's important that uh, we talk about it. So in your notes, the malignancy of sin. Um, sin is like cancer. We have tumors. Some are benign. Some are malignant. It creeps up on us. We don't expect it. Often, like we, we, people around us, people in our own families, usually we're surprised, oh, it's cancer, and we hate that word, right? It's an awful word. And when cancer, you know, one of the fancy words metastasizes and it spreads um, to other parts of our body, and someone might have in one, um, one organ, and all of a sudden there's cancer, like, in, in another organ, and somehow it spreads, and we treat the cancer, and celebrate because it's been taken care of, but then it's, it's like deceitful, right? It kind of tricks us, like, oh, it's taken care of. No, it's not. And it's a good analogy, a good metaphor for sin. Sin is kind of like that, too. It creeps up on us, especially the ones that we think, you know, we do the major sins, you know, but there's so much that is part of our life uh, in, in other ways, and we don't, maybe we're not sure it's there creeps up on us, it spreads, even by uh, our behaviors, our work, and to other parts, uh, uh, other, other members in our body here. And so if we have a negative gossiping, pretty soon other people are as well. It spreads. Sin is it's like cancer. It's like a tumor, and uh, we need to deal with it. But we have a way to deal with it, don't we? And those of you... Not anything new. Um, should I just use a different mic? Yeah, thumbs up. You know, that's what, one reason why we take an offering is to fix things like this. Um, but there's always a tension, you know, like how much do we spend on, you know, stuff like this? And how much do we spend on ministry? And so keep praying about those things. And February 24th is the... Uh, annual meeting, and you can vote uh, whether you want us to spend the money this way or not. But um, anyways, it, it's a, an annoyance, right? Um, but um, thank you uh, for giving so we can do stuff like this. Anyways, um, it not only distracts you, it distracts me because I don't know what's going on here. One thing they'll teach in preaching class, if you forget where you are, just come back and take a drink of coffee.
and then you can uh, get back on track. So now, open your Bibles. First John chapter 1, please. First John chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, if we claim to have fellowship with God, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all, there's that word again, sin. This is good news. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. We lie. Okay? And the truth is not in us. No one can say, I am without sin. I am perfect. I'm innocent. Only Jesus can say that. If we claim to be with, without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, then what happens? He is faithful. God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Again, really nailing this point home here. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him... We make God out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Okay, so let's say, who claims to have no sin? Okay, not after reading that, right? We have sin. We have a sin problem. Our world has a sin problem. Things are not supposed to be this way in the world. They're not supposed to be this way in our country. They're not supposed to be this way in Winnipeg. And they're not even supposed to be this way probably in our own families. And the reason is sin that we need to deal with. We have um, sin. We have a sin problem. Part of our problem is we don't like to say, you know, oh, I sin. I have, I did a bad thing. It's really hard for us to do this. And so the gospel, this is what this is. I want to preach the gospel to you and then you're going to preach it to yourselves. And it's basically summed up here. God is faithful. God is compassionate. God is loving. God loves to forgive. What is he forgiving if there's nothing to forgive? We have sin that needs to be forgiven. It can be taken care of. Cancer sometimes can be taken care of. Sometimes it can't. Sometimes we think it's taken care of and it's not. So that analogy breaks down when we compare it to sin because God does take care of sin and will eradicate every single instance of evil or sin in this world someday. And he's doing that in our lives every day if we confess. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful. Like, this is awesome. And and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you believe what the scriptures say? Do you believe God's word? It's a command to deal with our sin. It's an obligation that we have. It's not an option. Let's deal with it. Just confess, 
receive the forgiveness, and be purified. And then rinse and repeat, kind of over and over again. So, preaching the gospel. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. In your notes, there's a line that says, the gospel is for, and you have to choose one. The gospel is for sinners, or the gospel is for unbelievers. Many people might think the gospel is for unbelievers, right? They who haven't heard the gospel. We've become Christians. Uh, we are following Jesus now. It's all good. It's all taken care of. I don't need the gospel anymore, but they do, you know, or she does. The gospel is for sinners. So circle sinners in your notes. It is not only for unbelievers. It is for everyone, whoever sins. So the gospel is for sinners, and that's... Um, that's one of the main things I want you to know. Now, I want to teach you how to preach the gospel to yourself. Preaching the gospel to yourself. That sounds stupid, but it's not. If it doesn't sound stupid, then we're on the same, same, brave, same wavelength. I would like you to preach the gospel to yourself daily over the next week or two. And then when we talk about sin every week for several weeks in a row, you'll get it. It won't be uncomfortable anymore because you're going to realize you are a great sinner, but you have a great, even greater Savior. How do we preach the gospel to ourselves? The first thing that I want you to know, and I've got a cheat sheet for this, and they will be at the back, so you can grab one on the way out, or you can take one um, at the, the Welcome Center. And there's yellow and blue and green and pink and purple and white. So you can choose your color. It should fit into your Bible very neatly. But the first step, I need you to remember that God is for you. God is not against you. Some people have this picture of an angry God who is against them. But Romans chapter 8 verse 31 says this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Okay, that's a rhetorical question. God is for us. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. And then listen to this question. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. That's what it says. Who is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Nothing. In all these things we are more than conquerors. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you understand that God is for you? Do you understand that he is not your judge? He is your heavenly father. And he, he's there with you. He's not waiting for you. You know, get your act together and then come see me. Or you've got this going on. Figure that out. He's with you. He's like, you know what? I forgive you. I'm for you. Let us work on this sin together. If you don't think that God is for you, it's going to be hard for you to accept the fact that you're a sinner. But he is for you. He is not again. He's with you in this. The first step I want you to consider, remember is that God is 
before you. You are not alone in your battle with sin. God is not distant. He is right there with us. Next. You need to be assured that God forgives you. Like even before you start listing your sins, even before you recognize that you're a sinner, will you, under, will you understand God forgives you? Be assured. It's so much easier to just be open and honest with God when you understand, okay, he's for me, he's with me in this, and he will forgive me. First John, right, chapter 1. God is just, and he will forgive if we confess our sins. Can you start there? Even before you get to the point about the sins that are happening in our lives, remember, God is for you. Be assured of his forgiveness even before you start tackling your sin. I am a great sinner, but I have a great Savior. I'd also like you to make it personal. The Apostle Paul does this. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, um, Son of God, who loved me, he says, and gave himself for me. Do you think that Jesus Christ gave himself only for Paul? He gave himself uh, for all of us. Christ died for every single one of us. And it's okay for you to make that personal, following the Apostle Paul's example. Like Christ, Galatians 2.20, if you want to put that in your notes, he says, the Son of God who loved me. So for some people, it's hard for us to, to recognize that. We think, oh, he loves people. He loves all of us. But no, you, individually, you personally, he loves me. And just as the Apostle Paul says, and gave himself for me. So let's try that. Your Bibles are open to 1 John chapter 1. Just flip over to 1 John chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 10. It says, this is love. Here's a definition of love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Okay, back up. Let's make it personal. So change, change the us to like um, me. Okay, and change the our to my. This is love. Not that I loved God, but that he loved me and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for my sins. Appropriate the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the sacrifice that Jesus has done. Make that personal for you. God is for you. He's not against you. He's your heavenly father. God forgives. Make it personal. Don't make it just about general. And then specifically, repent, name the sin, confess, Receive God's forgiveness and repeat. When you get to this stage, as you're preaching the gospel to yourself every day, repent and be specific. Like, name it. Don't um, water it down. Don't try to make excuses. Just say it's um, what it is. Stealing. Adultery. It's uh, lust. It's gossip. It doesn't, yeah, but, you know, they, they deserve it or... Or, but for good reason. I mean, see what they did? Like, don't make any excuses. Just name it. Repent of it. Tell God your sin. 
confess it. Now, part of this whole process of repenting, it's not just naming it and confessing it, but you've heard this before probably many times. Going this direction, repent means you go this direction now. So when you repent, you don't, just, you don't keep going the same direction, right? You don't keep on gossiping and keep on gossiping. You stop it and you turn. Repent, okay? Name it. Confess it. And then receive God's forgiveness. Repeat, memorize that verse, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and he will forgive us. What was the point of, of Jesus on the cross, taking our place, that huge sacrifice, if he doesn't forgive us? Receive it. This is hard for some people to receive God's forgiveness. And so ask God for help sometimes to receive that. God forgives you. And the next step is we'll help you to receive God's forgiveness. And then repeat. Do another one. Don't just say, God, forgive me for all my sins. Take your time. What sin? Name it, confess it, receive God's sin. Receive God's forgiveness and repeat. And then finally, review God's word. For those of you who have problems receiving God's forgiveness, you can start with something like um, Psalm 103, verse 12, which says this, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. In the cheat sheet, here are some verses that you can go over, some great ones for you to memorize, to review God's word over and over again. Just beautiful um, messages from God. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, this is God saying this, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Romans, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Romans 8, chapter 1. Therefore, here's a, this should be a favorite one of all of us. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you feel condemnation? Do you feel... God is for you. He is not against you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then there's a bunch more uh, on the cheat sheet that you can take and review these. Read as many of them as you want. Do you think you can preach the gospel to yourself daily? Many preachers have said, this is a good thing for you to do, to preach the gospel to yourself. The gospel is not for unbelievers uh, only. It's for sinners and we are all sinners. God loves you. God is for you. He is compassionate and he is gracious. There are consequences for sin. Sometimes we, we screw up and we sin. See, that's another word. Sorry, I shouldn't. We sin, right? Not screw up, we sin. And there's a consequence for that. Sometimes they linger a little bit longer. But God can redeem anything and everything, as we see in many stories in the Bible. Do not take advantage of this. It's the same thing, same message that Paul said when he wrote letters to the Corinthians and to other churches. They were taking advantage of God's graciousness. But he kept preaching God's grace anyways. Don't take advantage of it. 
understand that he is for you, he loves you, he will forgive you. I want you to make it personal, repent, name it, and let's review his word for you over and over again. Part of this, part of the reason why I'm saying this is because uh, those of us, uh, um, some of us here, uh, we have experienced a lot of freedom just in the last few years by doing something like this. Just here's something that has been part of my life for a long time. I'm going to take it to God. I'm going to name it. I'm going to confess. And sometimes it involves other people. If your sin hurts someone else, you confess that to God, but you need to address that with the person as well. It's always better. When you come out on the other side, it is so much better because God is good and he is a good God. Coming up, April 8th, 9th, no, 11th, 12th, and 13th is a soul care conference. $50, it's actually free. The $50 is to just cover um, the use of uh, the building at the bridge and the lunches and all the snacks. If you can come, please come. I know your first re reaction is, oh, it's Thursday and Friday, you know, I work uh, or I've got other responsibilities. I understand that may happen, but could you pray? Because maybe it will open up an opportunity for you to come anyways, even though uh, you have that. Um, but anyways, today, take the cheat sheet home. I want you to preach the gospel to yourself because in a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about sin a lot more. Not like murder uh, and heinous sins like that. We'll be talking about sins that are happening right here that we maybe aren't aware of, that are socially acceptable within the church setting. And... Um, I just want you to be open to that. So preach the gospel to yourself for the next couple of weeks. And um, I don't know what else I'm going to say. My notes are behind me. Uh, so let me pray for you. And, um, and then uh, we'll talk more in the lobby afterwards. God, sometimes for us it is so hard to understand how you could love us when we face our own shortcomings, when we face our messes, when we face our sin, we feel hopeless. And we feel that you might not be pleased with us. And we feel that we need to get things right before we come to you. So we repent of that because that is not a biblical idea. Lord, will you please meet us right where we are, in our schools, in our family, here in our church, in our messed up relationships and show us that you are for us. You're with us in all of this. Help us to embrace your forgiveness. Help us to offer that forgiveness to one another. Oh Lord, may this congregation, may this community be known as one who loves each other because we're able to love each other because we've received your forgiveness. God, your gospel, it is such good news, and I'm only even beginning to understand how deep and how great and wonderful it is, even though I thought it was wonderful before. And I pray that these people here would understand and comprehend that in the depth of their souls even more. As the Apostle Paul has said and has prayed for his congregations, we pray this for ourselves as well. May we come to understand the fullness of your love for us, how deep that is, how wide it is. Lord, we need you. We're so thankful that 
Uh, you have provided a remedy for our sins. And Lord, this world is not a nice place sometimes. Help us to recognize and call things for what it is in our own lives. And Lord, as you come and renew us and fill us with your spirit, may that goodness, may that compassion and mercy overflow from our lives into this world around us. We are your body. We are your hands. Come and use us as instruments of your righteousness and justice and peace. I pray for these things.